this morning is PG-13. So if you or your significant other are on the immature side, just, I'm just giving you the heads up at the beginning. So, Excellent. Good morning, church. Welcome to our neighbors. I'm glad to be with you if you are here. Good morning, church. Hey, a couple of you. All right, good. Hey, I'm glad to be with you this morning. Um, we have been going through a series um, called Signal in the Static. And I don't know if I'm the only one. I suspect that I'm not, but we live in a world that just has a lot of noise in it. There's a lot of competing voices. Um, there's a lot of um, things that are crying out for attention. Oftentimes, they are in our very pockets, buzzing at us continually. And um, there are things that are reaching out, trying to grab our faces, trying to grab our eyeballs, and people get paid good money to figure out how to get and hold our attention. And we just live in a world full of advertising. We live in a world full of messaging. And amongst all of these messages, there also is a voice the Bible calls, uh, calls, or would describe her as a woman, Lady Wisdom, who also is on the corner, who also is in uh, the public square, and she also is crying out for our attention. But the voice that she is calling and pointing to is a voice of truth. And that's the, tr that's the voice that we want to tune into. We want to turn down the static, turn down the noise, and tune into what it looks like to live a wise life, a, a life that's consistent with the way God made for the world to work. Um, so that's what we've been talking about. If you've been following along with us, uh, then this is the fifth week that we've been together. If this is your first time, then I'm welcoming you. I'm glad that you're here. And uh, because of the nature of how this is going to unfold, I'm going to start this morning by giving us a little bit of a recap of where we've been. Because to, to just kind of drop into a conversation for the first time, um, it can be a little bit unsettling. So when we, when we look at it together, and when we look at these, all of these chapters together, it makes more sense and paints a clearer picture for us. So um, we've been looking together at the biblical book of Proverbs. And the way that the book itself is structured is, is chapters one through nine, the first nine chapters of the book are kind of extended discourses. So they take different topics and they talk for those topics for a number of verses before they move to another topic. But as we've talked, he's a, a, they follow a rabbinic teaching. So instead of just a point and then subpoint and then three expanding points and then a second point and another subpoint and three expanding points, they, they kind of talk in a circle. So I'll say something really quick and move off of it and talk about some other things and then I'll come back and hit that again a little bit deeper and then I'll come back and I'll hit that again a little bit deeper. And so as we, as we come to Proverbs today, chapters 5, 6, and uh, 7, we'll be like, wow, this is a really long discourse. Well, he's, he's primed the pump for it, and now he's ready to, to dive in. The, uh, the rest of the book, most of the book, is probably what you're more familiar with if, if you've looked at the book of Proverbs at all. It's just kind of random tweets. Random one-off sayings that are, that are kind of wise and maybe a little bit confusing. you got to chew on them a little bit. But the first, the first one's not related to the last one. And the next one might be completely about something different. And then the book closes in uh, chapters 30 and 31 with some more kind of longer discourses from some different authors. Um, and and, and the, the, uh, the things that we've worked through is the starting assumption that the world is not as it was meant to be that God created the world and it was good, 
and that something has happened and it doesn't operate the way that it was meant to operate. The world is not as it was meant to be, but Jesus leads us in the way of life. So as we, as we turn to Jesus, as we give our attention to the book of Proverbs, we're learning a way of living that's consistent with the way it was supposed to work, but we also acknowledge that we're living in a world that doesn't always work exactly the way um, we want it to or the way it was supposed to work. We also have seen regularly and repeatedly that bad company leads us down a wrong path. The people that we're friends with will often uh, determine uh, the, the kind of choices that we make, but Jesus offers good company to journey together with. So if we choose uh, the people that are heading in the right direction, um, then we might not be frustrated at where the journey ends. Um, and in the process, we trust God, always, with, with everything. Because God is the one who created everything. He's our highest standard. He is himself our highest standard. And he also is our, our greatest treasure. He leads us to life. And our trust in God defines every other relationship that we have. So our relationship to work, our relationship to our children, our relationship to our significant others, our relationship to our community and the people that we live down the street from, our trust in God shapes every other relationship. That's, that's a summary, as close as I could get to in like five sentences of everything that we've talked about in the first four chapters of the book of Proverbs. We, are we tracking still? I know it's a lot to start off with, but I want to set that tone for you because what we have here um, in chapters 5, 6, and 7 is a really, really extended discourse of, of, kind, of a sensitive, uh, kind of a sensitive nature. And I don't want to just jump into it without any kind of preamble, um, because, but I do want you to feel the weight of it. So there's a pacing here where we've kind of jumped around and we've spent uh, four weeks going through these, these first chapters and it's kind of like, okay, I get this, that makes sense, these things are kind of related, God made everything, he gets to make the rules, I get all that. And then in these chapters, it seems like he just digs in in a very particular way and doesn't let up. There's a heaviness to how these chapters hang together and I want us to feel that. Um, but I also don't want to just kind of hit you with it. Does that make sense? Yeah, cool. Um, oh, it's not going to work again. Can you give me the picture of um, the father? Cool. The setting for this chapter, I want to just set it up for you. The, the picture of the dad and the son, the older guy, um, is... You've got a father who's talking with his son, and his son's a little bit older. I might just have to describe it for you. Um, the son's a little bit older. The son's probably married. He might be in his first year of marriage, or he might be in his seventh year of marriage. But it's clear he's got some, the son has some kind of life experience, but he's coming to a place where he has to make some decisions, and, and life isn't working out the way that he planned for it to work out. And so the father kind of pulls him aside and says, hey, son, like there's some things that I really want to impress on you. There's some things that I really want you to grasp. There's some dangers that you're coming close to, and I just want to let you know where you're at and try to give you some perspective. So that's what we're going to be reading together. Um, in Proverbs, uh, beginning in chapter 5. But before we do that, let's pause, and we'll pray together. It's our habit together at Neighborhood Church to pray together the disciples' prayer here at the beginning of the week. I don't know if it's going to end up on the screen or not. The disciples' prayer? Nope. 
Cool. Uh, it's on the screen because I pray it out of the ESV, um, and you probably learned it in the King James, but let's pause and pray together. You can pray out loud with me if you'd like, but at the very least, would you bow your hearts and let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Proverbs chapter 5. And I'm going to read a big chunk of scripture here. And we're going to sit with it for a minute. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil, but in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. And now, O sons, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless, lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life you groan. When your flesh and body are consumed and you say, how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers, nor incline my ear to my instructors. I'm at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. (laughs) Drink water from your own cistern. Flowing water from your own well, should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? (laughs) Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer and a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, He is led astray. Chapter 6, verse 20. My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life to preserve you from the evil woman from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. Do not desire her beauty in your heart, and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. 
for the price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread, but a married woman hunts down a precious life. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is he who goes in to his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. People don't despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his appetite when he's hungry. But if he's caught, he will pay sevenfold. He'll give all the goods of his house. He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. He will get wounds and dishonor and his disgrace will not be wiped away. For jealousy makes a man furious and he will not spare when he takes revenge. He will accept no compensation. He will refuse Though you multiply gifts, my son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. And call insight your intimate friend to keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. For at the window of my house, I've looked out through my lattice. And I've seen among the simple, I've perceived among the youths, a young man lacking sense passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house in twilight, in the evening, at the time of night, in darkness. And behold, the woman meets him, dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. She is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home, now in the street, now in the market, and in every corner she lies in wait. She seizes him and kisses him, and with bold face she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices, and today I have paid my vows so that I, now I have come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. I have spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen. I've perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love, for my husband is not at home. He's gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him, and at full moon, he will come home. With, with much seductive speech, she persuades him. Her smooth talk compels him. All at once, he follows her. As an ox goes to the slaughter, or as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver, as a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. And now, O oh sons, listen to me, and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her way. Do not stray into her paths, for many a victim has she laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. The Lord blesses the reading of his word. It's a long passage. There's a lot there. There's a lot to unpack, and, and I, hopefully you can see why I wanted to lay some foundation of everything that we have is, is comes from God, and that as we grow in our trust of God, God shapes every relationship that we have. And as uh, the book of Proverbs is written from a father to a son, um, we have here a father exhorting his son about something that 
that dudes are susceptible to. Uh, sexual temptation. So we are going to talk about sex. It does exist. We're kind of grown-ups here, although some of the kids have wandered out now that we've read the passage, um, which is good. Uh, well, it's, uh, anyway, it's fine. Um, so a couple of things. This text uh, reads kind of harshly, and I can suspect that um, that there are, is some response to this text that uh, gets a little bit frustrated. Like, why does the Bible always do that? Why does it always do that thing where the women are the bad guys and they're just out there to, like, tempt the men and distract the men? Like, why are the women always the bad guys in these things? And doesn't the man have any responsibility for how he behaves too? And why is it always how she's dressed and how she smells? And why is it always about her? And I understand the pushback. And I, there's nothing in this text, I'll just observe real quick, there's nothing in this text that says the man's not responsible for his behavior. He is as responsible and culpable for his behavior as she is for hers. Okay? But um, this is, the picture is a father pleading with his son. There's a, 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 I think you'd just call him a comedian. I heard him on a podcast. His name's John Hodgman. And he has this phrase, which I love, this beautiful phrase, is, is specificity is the soul of narrative. Specificity is the soul of narrative. So like, if I want to tell you a story, the more specific I can be, the more you're going to believe and buy into and be in, engaged with the story. So if we had a textbook uh, description of the laws of attraction and how boys and girls get along and how sometimes uh, when a man loves a woman, like we, we would have all checked out, you know, 30 minutes ago, Right. But because we, he's, he's, he's giving a specific structure, he's talking about it for, as, from a father's viewpoint to his son, there's a, a level of specifics here that help us to understand and, and be engaged with the story, but that does not limit the applications of the plea or the principles. So, whoever may be tempting you, whether they be a female or a male, the principles are the same, right? I don't know if you are on the same page with me yet. This isn't a textbook description. It's an emotional plea. Like I, I read it the way that I read it, and I read it all together so that, so that we, could, we could feel it some. Because sometimes when you're just kind of reading, like you're doing your quiet time, you're reading, the, it's black and white, and you're like, oh, I've heard this before, and it doesn't engage. So, so when, we, when we put a voice to it, and we, and we hear the emotional plea, we go, okay, maybe there's something here I need to wrestle with a bit. And I'll just give you our big idea here at the beginning so that we don't lose it in the end. Thrills can kill, but Jesus gives life to extravagant intimacy. So, what, what, do we do, what do we do with these verses? What are, what are some things that we can draw out? One of the things that really stands out to me from these verses is how much, verb, uh, how much words and, and verbal communication play in the road that we take towards temptation. Oftentimes, it's something that we hear that is, is leading our thoughts to go to places that they ought not to be. She pleads with him. Her lips are smooth as honey, which you know, may be a double entendre, but, but, but um, her, her, uh, her speech is smoother than oil. Her lips are sweet as honey. Her speech is smoother than oil. 
the, the, the things that are going to lead us towards temptation are always going to sound better than they are. Um, they're always going to overcome your objections to them, and they're always going to promise you more than the, any, they can actually deliver. Words are cheap to hear, but maybe costly to believe. Many times, those who are eager to give promises and, and pledges, many of the times the people that, are, that have like the best deal ever will start to hedge as soon as you push back a little bit and try to test their authenticity. Hey, just can you demonstrate for me that you actually are going to, you know, Stand behind the work that you're doing in my house? Well, actually, I don't know. Maybe. Can I get that in writing? Actually, probably the price might be a little bit different when you factor in the environmental fees. I don't know. Did you notice they just make up stuff when, they're, when it comes time to do billing? But the first is, is what we hear. with all the noise that we have in our world, with all the things that we have to, all the messages that we have to walk through, there's a responsibility that we have to look down the road, to not just believe any promise that gets made to us, but to look down the road and see where we're going to end up. And the exhortation like, I, I don't want to move away. I don't want to explain away the exhortation. Like, let me make it as clear as possible. The Father says, flee sexual compromise. Don't mess with it. Don't go near it. Don't, don't try to talk your way out of it. If it's going that way, then go the other way. Like, like the, I can, Father to Son, if there's any wisdom I can tell you, if it's going that direction, then just go somewhere else. It's better for you to avoid it entirely. James, uh, the brother of Jesus, writes that the progression to death comes by way of lingering on the thing that kind of sounds pretty good. That's James chapter 1, verses 12 through 15. Okay, I, I, does that mean I can't talk to the other, the other, the other sex? I can't talk to the other people of the other gender? Like, I can't? Can't have conversations then because they might say something and then I got to figure out, I don't know, where is this going? Are we, we going to live paranoid that there's people out there trying to get us all the time? Um, no, not exactly. But let's be aware that there are several ways that intimacy grows. Like when we talk about intimacy, we're not just talking about sexual intimacy. There are other, other forms of intimacy that are not unrelated. They are connected. And, you know, emotional intimacy, like sharing your emotions, sharing your feelings, deep, deep feelings with other people can build a bridge that leads to other places. Even, even recreational intimacy, the, time, the people that you just spend a lot of time with. We're always hanging out. We have all these shared experiences, and that builds intimacy. And so I'm not saying don't hang out with anybody. I'm saying be aware of who it is that you're hanging out with and where it is that your emotions are becoming increasingly attached because that's the direction that we're walking down. Oftentimes, these compromises just start as daydreams. Yeah, maybe it would be better. I, I could probably get away with it. 
really wouldn't be that bad. I mean, I can think of another story where it would have been even worse. So this is not, like, when I compare it to that, it's probably not okay. But what daydreams are pulling us away from honoring our first loves? What thoughts are we just entertaining just a little bit too much? And just remember here at the beginning that thrills can kill. That's so cheesy. I'm sorry. I really struggled. I super struggled to like figure out how to word all of this, and I did not do a good job. Thrills can kill is the best I came up with. I'm sorry. Okay, all right. Maybe you'll remember it. I don't know. Okay, here we go. So... Be, be, be mindful of how our, words, uh, how our words and how conversation and how intimacy grows and where that can lead. If you are married, um, maybe don't spend a ton of time hanging out by the water cooler next to that really cute guy that works a couple offices down. Because he's cute. Not because you can't, like, it's not that you can't never talk to him. It's just that I know that if I spend time with him, I begin thinking along these lines. And those lines take me there. And the direction of our thoughts, we grow, we grow, we go in the direction of our strongest thoughts. I stole that from somebody. That's not original to me, but I don't remember who it was. We grow in the direction of our strongest thoughts. So what are some outcomes? Now, here's where I feel like maybe, um, maybe a, a youth group like Valentine's Day lecture is coming. Like, I'm sorry, but like they're here. Like th- there are outcomes here. There are things that happen as a result of these compromises. And I'm just going to list them for you. I won't go back and read them. But, but 511 says disease is a possible outcome for sexual compromise. It's, it's there, 511. Um, there is a, a divine head shaking. Whatever it is that you think you can get away with on earth, God sees the heart and your intentions of what is going on on. Like, you're going to have to come to terms with the one who made you at the end. You might get decked. You sleep with another man's wife, he might hurt you. I remember, and I couldn't find it, and I started doing some research to see if I could find the statistic. A, I hate statistics. Two, it was a really big rabbit hole of how many, like, murderers are in jail because they killed somebody uh, because of infidelity. Like, like, I remember there being a stat about that being really, really proportional, and I couldn't find it, and you don't, don't, don't Google it. There's more there than you want to spend time on. So disease, divine head shaking, you could be decked, I'm getting Baptist here, uh, or disgrace. There's a community aspect that as these things get found out, no matter how well they're hidden, there's a disgrace that, we, that, that, that these things can carry. 5.8. 514, 6.30. There's destitution. A cost, a financial cost to sexual infidelity. It says it four times in this passage. 510, 5.14, 6.26, 6.35. Like, what do you mean it's going to cost me? Well, have you ever been on a date? Date night is expensive. And date night when you're dating and you're not married, like, that's expensive, too. You've got to put on the Ritz. You've got to make a good impression. Like, there's, there's a cost involved in that. And if it, if it goes well and, and then doesn't go well, then you've got to consider, too, child support and alimony and lawyer costs. And lawyers ain't cheap. My son, stay away. It'll cost you. 
And it may even destroy you. Disease, divine head shaking, getting decked, disgrace, destitution, and destruction. That's all, I, that's all my D's. Three times in three chapters, this is the way to death. This is the way to destruction. And now we're, we're adults, and when we hear things like that, and we hear things like thrills can kill, we're like, yeah, but really, really? Because I can think of that one time that like that happened, and then it kind of turned out okay, and then everybody was happy in the end. Like it kind of works. Well, um, one counterpoint, one counterpoint does not invalidate the wisdom that he's advocating for here. You can make an unwise choice one time and it can work out okay. That doesn't mean that that was the wisest choice that you could have made. We're talking about wisdom. Proverbs are probabilities, not promises. So this isn't a guarantee that you're going to die if these things happen to you. However, there's a really higher, uh, much higher probability that things are not going to go well for you in your relationships if this is a component. There's a repetition. We heard it four times. He says, son, hey, son, please listen, 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 please listen, listen, hear me, hear me. Don't forget, write it, bind it on your fingers, put it on your head, like get a necklace with this and bla- like listen to me, like I'm, 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 I'm not kidding. And the problem, the problem with compromise in relationships is that you can't hear it in the middle of it. Your friends can't tell you you're in a wrong spot when you're already committed to the relationship. We've got to figure out with you how to navigate a compromised situation. So so the father here is saying, before you get into that, before you get into that, hear this before you need it to stay away. Don't even go by our house. Don't drive down that way. Don't leave your phone on at night by your bed. Which means we might have to make a change. We might have to make some different choices in order to avoid temptation. I, I think it's fascinating. He closes with this story about uh, he, he's, sitting, he's sitting in his house. He looks out the window. He sees a group of guys, young guys, and then one guy who was really naive because he was walking along. Um, and he was walking past this, he was going down the street near her house. He went, he was in her neighborhood and then he went down her street and he went down her street in the evening as it was getting dark. The timing was wrong. The time it was a bad time to be there. It was a b- wrong place, wrong time. And he did it on purpose. And then he's going to be surprised that he got into trouble. But she comes out and, and, and she, she kisses him and she woos him and she convinces him that her husband's going to, he took a big bag of money, so he's, he obviously isn't going to be back till the end of the month. But I wonder if, like, maybe he took a big bag of money because he had a big sale that was guaranteed and he took it and he's going to be back this week. Don't go near her street. So I have a friend um, who has asked to remain nameless who uh, was in a situation this week. It's not bad. This is actually a funny story. I know that got serious real quick. but <clears throat> um, 
she was in a situation or was in a situation this week where her normal workplace was not available. She was out of the office, and the only place she could work was in a, a friend's house. And in the room that she had that was available for office space, all they had to work in was a recliner. But then there was an issue because she didn't have a desk, and so she had this laptop, and she's trying to work on the laptop, but this was like, this was hurting her neck, and she couldn't do this. And so she found that, the, or it was hurting her back. I don't remember exactly what it was. She's had all kinds of excuses. And she, um, uh, so she ended up laying down in the recliner trying to do work, and then she was surprised she fell asleep. He went to her house. He was in her neighborhood. He was on a street. He was there at nighttime. And then he was surprised that all of this happened. Sometimes we just set ourselves up. Sometimes, sometimes it's not God's fault. Sometimes you just wanted to do it. And so you went and you did it. And you put yourself in a position so that you could do the thing you wanted to do. And that's okay, but don't get mad at God when it goes bad. What then... <laughs> Like, what are we talking about? Are we just talking about adultery then? Because we've, we've spoken in the last couple of months that adultery legally defined is uh, intercourse with a married woman that you're not married to. So somebody else's wife. Like, that's the legal definition of adultery. So I can see teenage boys in their heads going, well, if she ain't married, then it's not adultery. So I can just write these passages off completely and I get to do what I want to do. No. What was God's original design for sexual intimacy? Here's the thing that, that I don't think culture wants us to know. Sex was God's idea. He thought of it. If you enjoy sex, like, thank God. Like, that was, that was his plan from the beginning, all right? So God's not ashamed. You want to know how not ashamed God is? Did you read what I read in chapter 5? OMG, I might do it again. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing well from your or flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? We're not actually talking about water, right? We're familiar with the concept of euphemism, sure. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water, flowing water, abundant water from your own well. <clears throat> Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? So... Sometimes it's uncomfortable to read those kind of things. Maybe church is a place where it's uncomfortable to read those kinds of things. I would just like to observe that there is nothing in that passage about procreation. That just sounds like fun, okay? I'm just going to put that out there. Sex was God's idea. It's good, and, and it, it, does, it belongs in a place. Like there's, there's a place where it belongs. It's in the, in the fireplace of a marriage covenant. Like, that's where it's, it's a glue that holds people together. But when you take the fire out of the fireplace and put it on the curtains, no bueno. The house is in trouble. Sex is good also, but it's not our primary identity. If, if you're a single person and you listen to all this, I don't have a, I'm not married right now, it's not blah, 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 I understand. It can be frustrating. And, uh, like... It's, 
I don't know how to say, like, sex is not everything. And it's definitely not our primary identity. Our, our, our world wants us to believe that our sexual preferences are the only thing that matters about us. And it's simply not true. I've heard a number of stories. I listen to too many podcasts, and I try to listen broadly so that I can hear other people's perspectives. And I cannot tell you how many times on a podcast I've heard an interview with a prostitute who says, I don't sell sex, I sell intimacy. You'd be surprised how many men just want to talk, which I find interesting. A, a different anecdote, anecdote that I've heard is that after the COVID shutdown, um, when everybody started to get virus, or not virus, <laughs> well, they got the viruses, then they started to get the... Um, Vaccines, thank you. Carlos is on it. He told me he's not good with words. When they started to get their vaccines, um, and suddenly people are like, okay, we can go out, we can date again. Like we've been in New York City, we've been locked up in our little apartments for months and months and months and months. And now we get to go and like, like meet people and, and stuff. And it's going to be great. And so people are, are meeting at bars again. And they're like going home with one another. And they're going back to the apartments. And, and they're just looking at each other and crying, and holding each other, because it's just been so long since they've had any kind of attachment to any, any other person. Like, there was, there, there are stories right after COVID of people in New York City, like pagan people who don't follow Jesus, who, who, who went to another person's apartment to hook up, and didn't hook up, they just hugged, because it's not about the sex. It's about the intimacy, and the connection, and the love that we feel from the other person. It's a good thing designed for a specific place. And when we think we know better than God how to use it, that's when we get ourselves into trouble. Thrills can kill, but Jesus gives life to extravagant intimacy. Like, Jesus is in the business of reconciliation. I don't know if you know that. So as I've gone through this, if there's been a burden on you or there's been something like, okay, gosh, like God hates me now because of all of this stuff and I've got all these decisions that I've made or I've got all these things that I was going to do and like, gosh, what am I going to do now? Like, I just want you to know that Jesus is in the business of reconciliation. His goal is to redeem that which was broken. Like, that is why we are here together. That's why we've gathered this morning to celebrate his work. Like, he has made a way for us to be forgiven, to be reconciled, to God, to be reconciled to spouses that we might have had conflict with. Like that's the beauty of the gospel. That's the good news and the reason why I even like was comfortable, not really comfortable, but I was okay with preaching these chapters to you. The good news is that Jesus wants us to grow in our intimacy. And for each of us, whether we're single or whether we're married, we each carry an inherent dignity as God's image bearers. We read from Ephesians chapter 2 that we are God's workmanship. We are God's masterpiece created by him, redeemed by him in order to also do good works. We are saved as a gift from him in order to do good works. He is not finished with us from the time that we turn to him. He wants us to walk with him. The challenge then from a passage like this which I want us to receive. I want us to feel the weight of it. I want us to take the warning seriously. But the challenge is that we begin to absolutize everything and, and, and we begin to see each person as a predator or as a temptation. Like, I can't talk with these people because they're predators or they're tempters. 
I don't know what to do. The challenge is to see each person as someone who is made in the image of God, whom Jesus is redeeming. Because our trust in God defines every other relationship. If I trust God, then I'm going to walk in this relationship in a certain way. I'm going to honor him with how I spend time with people. And for all the excuses that we can make, we know when we're serving ourselves as opposed to serving him. So then, how are we fostering a healthy intimacy in our relationship? How are we fostering a healthy intimacy in our relationships? We might need help. We might need a third-party negotiator. We might need some counseling. We might need uh, some time to sort it out. But how are we fostering healthy intimacy in our relationships? And how are we growing in our intimacy with Jesus? Because thrills can kill, but Jesus gives life to extravagant intimacy. How do we grow in our intimacy with him? I'm here for that. Well, if the Lord wills, we will discuss Proverbs chapters 8 and 9 next week. And much of that will be related to growing in our intimacy with Jesus. So, see you next week. Let's pray together. (sighs) Lord, you know how much I wrestled this week. Um, And so I just stop now and and ask you, please, in your... uh, in your divine way, that anything that I've said that's merely my opinion or is a distraction um, or is untrue, Lord, I pray that all of that would be quickly forgotten. But Lord, would you make your word to stand true in our hearts? That which is pure and good, Lord, would you help us to cling to that? Lord Jesus, we, we, we look to you. We know the difficulty of growing a relationship or maintaining a relationship or kindling the flame or rekindling the flame or, 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 or walking away when we feel like something is going to be better for us. Like, Lord, help us to not be deceived. Help us to trust you when you give us direction. Help us to walk in that way. Lord, that we might be a family that resembles you and the community that you envisioned to partner with you in redeeming the whole world. And if we're far from you, Lord, would you help us to turn away from those things that are keeping us away? We thank you that you have paid in full Not only every sin, but also for every desire that would lead us away from you. It's hard to imagine. And we thank you, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.